to LOA Today. I'm Walt Keeson. With me on the show today, Debbie G and Neo Positivity. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. Now, Debbie will be along in just a moment. So uh, she's not quite here, but she'll be here. You know, when you have somebody who's that high energy, she just has to pop in and out all over the place. That's just the way it is. But in the meantime, we have a special guest joining us today. Kimberly Height is the author. Oh, hello. <laughs> Hi, energy. Entering the room. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> Kimberly Height is the author of an upcoming book to be released in the first quarter of 22 called Rebel's Guide to More Money. And she says she actually finished writing it today. Like, wow. Okay. And, we le- <laughs> and she says that we leverage the, the LOA by stepping into the person who already wrote the book. Ooh. Nice mm-hmm. theme. I like that. It's for people who feel like rebels who tend to do things in their own way. I, I think it's just about everybody here at LOA today who have been pushing to have more money and not been successful. By the end of the book, readers will know what they've been doing wrong because it's a step-by-step guide to creating more money. It shows them what might get in their way and how to get back on track. And she loves the beach. She loves laughing, which is a good thing because we do a lot of that here. She loves to be creative. She sounds like just exactly our kind of person, Neil. Hey, Kat, how you doing today? I'm Kimberly. You're, you're, you're just like, you're, you're glowing there. You're feeling pretty good, it looks like. I, I feel amazing, Walt. Thank you so much for having me on your show today. And yes, you're right. I actually finished writing the book last night. So in three days, wow. I wrote a book. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> I'm floating on a cloud right now. <laughs> Whew. Yeah, because, I, I mean, Neil's written books. I've written books. I've edited books. I know what that's like. It's a process. There's a lot that goes into it. So when you say you wrote it in three days, I say, did she sleep? I did. I did. <laughs> right, Neil? I mean, can you imagine that, Neil? Tell me. Oh, you have to you have to unmute yourself now that you're, you're, you're a kid's left. My bad. I have about nine or, or or ten chapters written, and I keep getting to the point where I'm. I get to a point, and I'm like, "Where did I have that at? Is that already <laughs> stated?" Yes. And so the chapters are even outlined on the cover. I have them on the wall, and on the cover they're outlined, so I can say, "Was it in there?" Okay, it's in there. But what did I say about it? So I make sure I don't repeat myself. By the time I read it, I don't even remember what I was talking about in the first place. So it's. <laughs> Everything, placement is everything. If I could find somebody to place it all in the right place, then I would have a book published right now. So I commend you on doing that, period, let alone in three days. Amazing. Thank you. So, and you're also a groundbreaker, too. We were talking about that before the show because you come to us from Cassie Parks, who was done a couple times over the last couple months. And you are one of two people who are the first members of her new coaching clinic i'm not sure what she calls it well we're we just figured it out this week um we are the new abundance facilitators for the future self university <laughs> abundance facilitators and what's the name of the university future self university future self oh okay. y'all put some thought into that oh yeah I she's like good that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that took time that took time right there meditation tapping into the source that's beautiful and inspiration. That, that was definitely an inspired idea right there. Oh, yes. And yeah. when we were talking this week, um, 
we were going back and forth and all of a sudden she just said abundance facilitator. How does that feel? And we both were like, amazing. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Really cool. I actually, that's very interesting because um, I've been experimenting with, you know, LOA of course stands for law of attraction, Mm -hmm. but I've been wanting for quite some time to expand beyond just law of attraction. And we do anyway. I mean, they're on the show. We talk about all kinds of stuff, but trying to figure out like what kind of umbrella to, to call it. And we came up with a variety of different, you know, combinations that spell out LOA. Um, the one I'm working on right now is living our abundance. So kind of tying into the same thing you are right there, but you got a future theme in there, which is really cool. Where'd that come from? Well, part of Cassie's program is, you know, we have to commit to five years and we actually tap in or step into becoming our future self now. Um, and looking at where she's at five years from now or where he's at. And we script from that place. Okay. All right. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and Neil, I, I just gave you a little um, mute there for a moment because we're getting a little bit, bit of a feedback loop. So I thought I'd let you know. Just so you Yeah, I was going to ask you, was that the voice thing or that was tapping? No, it was co- that was coming through on her voice. Her, her okay. voice is looping. Like yeah. Debbie thing. All right. Yeah. Okay. So I just wanted to let you know about that. I'm but, um, so the book, I, I guess I'm kind I'm the book kind of is inspired from your experience um, working with Cassie and both, both going through her, her book, cause her manifest 10 K book is, is like the foundation of what she does as well as being part of this new coaching program that she's offering. Am, am I gauging this right? Yes, you are. Um, okay. so there's, um, you go to change your money story and it's like a mini workshop. And you learn what your money story is. We all have a money story, whether we recognize it or not in the very beginning. And I was a money chaser. I chased money for most okay. of my 43 years of life. I'm Well, I'm 46 now. But up until I started working with Cassie and changing that story, I've been a money chaser. Now, it's been a few weeks since Cassie was on. I know she went over this with everybody on the show here. Let's do a little review. What are the different categories of people where money is concerned? So you have a money chaser. Um, you have survival. You have hot mess. Um, I love that have, title, by the way, the hot mess. Yeah, <laughs> the hot mess. <laughs> um, you have just enough. And then there's one other one that I'm not the most familiar with. Um, it's kind of, you can have be a combination of some of those two. Mm, okay. All right. Yeah. And in your experience, where do most people fall? Um, that's an interesting question because, um, I thought that I fell in several different categories. Mm-hmm. So I think you can see yourself in multiple different money stories yet being a money chaser. That's all I ever really focused on. Like I, I could see where other people would have like not enough or just enough. Um, my parents were that way. So mm-hmm. I went the complete opposite of my parents' money story. Hmm. Okay. Well, hey, self-knowledge is is like the most important piece of this anyway, because the more that we can know about ourselves, the better we're going to be able to overcome the blocks and resistances and all the little wonderful things we put in the way of our own progress. Um, Yeah. Because that's part of the fun of being alive in this world of contrast and polarity. Um, I'm kind of in my mind, you know, contrasting what she's saying and comparing it to your own experience, uh, because you went through... I, I don't know exactly which category you fall into to originally, I should say, but you went through like a dramatic life changing shock wave. 
And <laughs> I can only imagine what that was like when you went through it. Which shockwave exactly are you talking about? <laughs> well, well, when you first got ex- when when you, when you were on the SWAT team and all that. He, he used to work for the Camden, New Jersey Police Department. And uh, he had a friend yeah. who give give her, give her like the quick overview of that story, just so she knows what's going on there. Oh man, long story. Medium. Uh, my ex partner was a CIA, a retired CIA agent. Told me about a movie that they make everybody watch in the academy. Ended up being the secret. I got obsessed. Uh, decided to learn how to meditate and just learn as much as I could by studying other people who were using it. And that's all I did, man. It was like 60 hours a week I was doing this. And less than a year later, you know, I ended up retiring. And ever since then, I've just been, you know, coaching and showing and teaching people all that I can, you know, all that I know about it. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it was a culture shock, you know, coming from the hood and then being a cop in that hood. I've had several different culture shocks in that respect, but transitioning from the old me, the old way of thinking to this one, you know, it's one of those things where you say, I'll never go back, but it was, it's a totally different life. It was just totally different life. Learning that thoughts had a purpose. They had a, you know, I, I never even gave thoughts a second thought, so to speak. <laughs> so to speak, yeah, right. So when I did, it was just, that was the biggest shock of my life, probably. Finding out that I was not only slightly in control, but in total control of the outcomes. Um, at the time, I I didn't know you had to surrender the middleman, everything that leads up to it. You know, all the events you try to predict, I'm going to meet this person and talk to that person, and that phone call is going to happen. You're always wrong about the middleman, but the end result, yeah, keying in on that, it was just a dramatic change uh, from from nothing to something, basically. And and you became truly a master, I would have to say. I think so. You know, I got my black belt <laughs> on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, he also has this wonderful um, thing that he started very early on. He started wearing, like you see right there, T-shirts that say "Thoughts Become Things," and he wears them everywhere. Every single shirt. And it becomes yeah. the basis for all of his connections of what he does. It's, it's, it's really cool. I, I love that. It's like, you know, street marketing. You just made me think, because it's a cheat. It is great marketing. I mean, I'm a walking billboard, I, and I love that. You would have to pay for this otherwise. But you just made me think, and I'm surprised it never dawned on me before. I'm, I'm weeding out the people I kind of don't want to talk to, you mm-hmm. know? As when it comes to meeting strangers, I can't walk down the street without saying something about my someone saying something about my shirt. And it's the people who say something about it. Those are the ones I wanted to meet ultimately anyway. So yeah, I didn't even realize it was working like that. But yes, I love having this shirt on. I don't have to pick outfits. It's sweet. I got a black <laughs> and white one. <laughs> it's great. It's an, it's an amazing. And then I end up giving them out. I was at I was at that dental festival, and um, it was a it was an all white event. Everybody was wearing all white. Mm-hmm. Like this guy wore my shirt. He had my shirt, but in black. Oh! And he was like, "I don't care. I'm wearing it the way I want to wear it. I'm representing." <laughs> and I was like, "Cool." And so the next night or two days later, it was a, a black tie event where everybody had on all black. Well, this lady came in wearing a white shirt. She said, I don't care. I'm representing. And I was like, "Wow." Uh, I didn't think I was affecting people like that. You know, I mean, it wasn't a big thing. It wasn't a rule. You had to wear white or black. But you got one night at this festival to wear what you want, you know, make your impression on all these people that you, you only see twice a year, these professionals that you look up to from around the globe, because they really did come from around the globe. And they chose to wear my shirt. And that was just flattering. You know, I mean, that was, that's what's up. I like that. That's a big deal. 
Seriously, that's a really big deal. And I know it is because I know what it's like to get the feedback here on the show from listeners. So when, you, when you're getting that feedback on the street live in person, people yeah. insisting on wearing your T-shirt even when it's not appropriate for the dress code. Oh, that time that I had on a tuxedo, I wasn't even wearing one of my shirts. <laughs> Those people are my people. They're rebels. <laughs> I love yeah, it. Yeah, love talk it. about where that title comes from. I love the use of the word rebels. Well, for me, a rebel was I wanted to do things my way, my own way. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be different from everybody else. So, yeah, I would be the one who would show up at a all-black tie event and wear the white T-shirt. Oh, it was you. <laughs> you were the one who was there. Oh, of course. I should have realized. <laughs> I've always been all over it. <laughs> I've always stood against having to wear matching socks and... Growing up in my time, you couldn't do something like that. But I would take it as far as I would have the black Air Force One shoes and the white Air Force One shoes, and I would wear one of each. <laughs> I was that guy that wore two different shoes. They were the same brand, same make, model, everything, just two different colors. Right. You know, I wasn't wearing like a sneaker and a dress shoe or a cowboy boot. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was always that dude that that did that, and I'm and I'm so proud because so many people tried to pull me off of that. They tried to put me back into the box that they thought I was in because their, I guess, parents held them in my in that box. And though my dad might have looked at me crazy for wearing two different shoes, he never told me not to. That's cool. Never, you know, so it has a lot to do with how you're raised and what you do with how you're raised. Yeah, that's true. You need both factors going on there. I mean, Kim, Kim, are you Kim or Kimberly? I didn't even ask that ahead of time. I go by Kimberly. Kimberly. I'm I'm a grown up now. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So Kimberly, um, when, when you, well, when you were growing up, but also, uh, when you were also in this, this period of, of learning and of adapting and, and, uh, you know, taking on what Cassie teaches and so forth, were you in any way influenced? by other people when it came to choosing that word rebel? In other words, how did people respond to you using that word rebel or did they not even hear about it? Cause you just kind of kept it to yourself at first. Well, if someone told me that I had to do something a certain way, I was like, okay, let me show you and I'm going to do it my way. <sighs> so I was even kind of tagged, you know, in high school as being a little bit of a rebel. I was doing things that nobody else was doing. And um, I thought about things a lot differently when I was younger. As a matter of fact, I didn't really, like, feel like I fit in anywhere. Mm. So, and, you know, Neo was talking about being in a box, and I just, I never wanted to be in the box. So, again, that rebel of if you're putting me in a box, I'm going to break out of it. Like, I just didn't want to be there at all. So thinking outside the box was never really a challenge for you then? No, no not at all. That was the easy part. The hard part was thinking inside the box. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I got in a lot of trouble of not being able to sit in that box, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, but you learned a lot of that. Oh, I sure did. <laughs> yeah. What What are some of the advantages, you think, from being that rebel, being outside the box as a way of living? Um, well, I think for me it's... Um, I'm more open to see what other people are doing. Like, um, I really think it helped me be less judgmental Mm -hmm. um, and be curious. Like, I would be curious about what somebody else was doing. Like, I was always wanting to learn something new and gain more knowledge. 
And I think being a rebel, um, I didn't want to do it the way everybody else was doing it. So I was looking for the people who were doing it differently and how maybe I could add to that. That's a can good I thing. Say, can, I say, can I ask you something? Yes. Is, is being a rebel, Kimberly, in your opinion, is being a rebel, rebel, because Walt just said something that hit me in my face. Is being a rebel the equivalent to finding it harder to stay in the box than it is to think outside the box? Oh, that's a good one. Because Walt, Walt said that it's harder to stay inside the box. And I said, yeah, that's how I grew up. And I have a feeling we all did too. Yeah, yeah, I, it, it is very hard to, to be in that box or stay in it. Yeah, most definitely. I think another way that I would label that box is it's what many people call the comfort zone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the non-effort the non box. You the non-effort box, yes. Let your thoughts come and just let it happen. You know? Although I call it the familiar zone just because for many people it's what's familiar. But uh, it could go either way, I suppose. But that comfort zone, man, that just eats people up without realizing it. And I think you guys are right. I think that people who tend to pay attention to things like law of attraction, who tend to want to make some changes in their lives and are willing to take steps to make those changes and so forth. There are people who already think outside the box because the box says, don't do that. Yeah. The box says to conform. The box says, here's the way to think. This is the way all the people in the group should think. What, what's wrong with you for thinking outside? So, you know, you know what else the comfort zone, comfort zone consumes time. Oh God. Time. Yes. I, I mean, Every day I think to myself at least once, I try not to, but I just think to myself at least once, like, man, what if I'd have known about the law of attraction when I was 10? Oh, don't even go there. That drives me nuts. I think about the same thing. It's crazy. <laughs> and then I pull out of it. I'm like, no, everything happens for a reason. Da, da, da. I, walk, I walk myself down this. But then it's, it's still there, though. It's still there. Oh, man. But you use that emphasis and you use that to drive you to do as many mental exercises for the rest of today. Mm -hmm. As I can remember to do, as opposed to just waking up tomorrow like, man, I just really watched TV last night and didn't do any affirmations, you know? You get out of things what you put into it, 100%. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. I, well, I'm also, I get excited by what's happening with a lot more kids today. I mean, I'm not saying across the board, but there is a significantly larger chunk of the young people population that is being exposed to this kind of thing. And that excites me. That makes me feel like there's real, real hope. And that it gives me a level of hope that I didn't even have before, to be perfectly honest. So I, I don't know. Maybe that's just the way I'm seeing it, but I'm, I'm just enthused by it. So when I get myself in that place of thinking, well, why didn't I have this explained to me when I was a kid? Then I remind myself, yeah, but kids today are getting it. Yeah. The only, the only form of payment I currently accept is that feeling right there. Mm. You know, I need, I need that. That's what I thrive for. Cause obviously the, ch the children are our future, like Whitney Houston said. Right. And they're the ones that are more open-minded too than the older of us that are kind of set in our ways. Those two factors right there are like, so when, when that group gets it as a whole, that's how I know I'm doing my job. That's the payment right there. That's how I know. Mm. And that's what pushes me. Just like a dollar bill would push somebody to go for that promotion. That's what's pushing me every day. Because, mm -hmm. shit, I'm sorry for my language. I'm retired. I really don't have to do none of this. I could just sit around and play video games all day. But, no, uh, this is it, man. That's, that's, that's love for me. That's life, that feeling. I need mm -hmm. that. Can I answer something, Walt? Yeah, go for it, yeah. 
I think actually that, Neil, you're onto something. I think we actually did know the law of attraction when we were kids. Really? Okay. Explain. I think kids are so connected. They just know things when they're younger. I think it's when they start to go to school that they conform to what is, I'll put in quotes, normal. Fair point. Yeah. So we have all taken this journey to get back to what we already knew, I think, when we were younger. And now we, as adults, we do get to help kids because we're the examples of what LOA is. And my boys are a prime example of that. I went for a period of time where I thought I had screwed up royally because I had this money story and I had passed it on down to my kids. Mm. Well, now that I've changed my money story, I get to lead by example. They get yeah. to see me having a new money story and they get to choose a new story for themselves. And they get to experience it too. There, there's do. a lot to be said for that experience. I mean, it's one thing to know something theoretically, although mm -hmm. kids are really good. You, you explain the theory to the kids and they just run with it because they don't have those resist resistance points that the older folks have. Yeah. But even with that, those resistance points, once you have that feeling through experience, I don't know if there's anything that really replaces that, is there? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. It's like, that's about as strong as it gets. Now, of course, the real challenge, and this is really what all the, the gurus, the teachers have been trying to explain to us is it's in your imagination. So regardless of whether you've experienced it, if you can imagine it, it still happens. To me, that's always been one of the more challenging parts of the whole thing. Because, yes, we do need to learn to apply our imagination, particularly in those areas where we hadn't per per perhaps experienced it before or experienced anything like it. And, and it's kind of stretching the imagination, stretching our ability to imagine and to feel and to put ourselves in that place. And, and th those are great skills to have. So that's, I guess, part of the reason we come into this world, to this high polarity, high contrast world where we, we lose track and we lose our connection for, for a bit, and then we rediscover it. Uh, but by the same token, man, it's so great when you gain that that feeling back, and when you can do it through your imagination, it's even more powerful that way. I want to I hit you guys with something. I was doing a show earlier uh, with Kristen Becker, and uh, we were talking about kids, and she said that she would play, like driving in a car, she would say, you got $1,000, what are you going to spend it on? And have the kids go through it. And it really dawned on me, it hit me when she said that, like, this is something that could shape, that shapes the way they think in the future. Most people won't run that scenario because for one, they feel bad. It's not happening. It's not real. They're, the, they're you know, the situation is opposite right now. It just makes them feel worse. So they, they refuse to run scenarios like that. But doing this with kids is like showing them it's okay to do it. And so when they get older, they'll be able to run scenarios better than our generation. Another thing that you said earlier that I wanted to key on, I wrote down, the next generation is going to learn the law of attraction. Our children, let's say, are going to learn the law of attraction in a better format than we did. Mm. We got it from the secret where it was like, all right, all this greatness, all this greatness, but why is this still happening? And yeah. we were trying to figure out, whereas our kids see us using it for both the, the good and for the bad. So they see that there's a balance. They won't go like, we, we went into it. I thought I was going to be president of Superman. I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I would never trip, stumble, stub my toe again. Um, and, and so they'll be able to see that there's both sides. 
and equate it to what they're going through in school, both sides, good things and bad things. So mm-hmm. it's very, in, in several different ways, the future is very bright as far as our kids and what they should be bringing to the next platform. Big time. And Kimberly gets to see that every day with her own kids. I mean, you don't even have to do it theoretically. Yeah. I've got three boys. Um, my oldest is stationed in Alaska in the army and he's 21. And we just had an amazing conversation about being present. He said that when he steps into the future and he's worrying about it, his life is chaotic. And if he goes in the past thinking about how he screwed up and how he didn't do something right, he doesn't feel very good about himself. Mm. But when he steps into being present with where he is in that moment, he's really happy. And to hear my 21-year-old son tell me that, that's amazing. Especially at 21. That's very cool because that's not always an easy age. Mm -mm. He just manifested a 2014 Jeep Wrangler. Um, you know, he's doing, he's doing so good and he's happy. Good for him. What's his name? His name's Noah. Noah. Please tell Noah we said thank you for his service. I will. And thank you for yours. Thank you. What does your younger son do? Uh, my, well, my middle one, Zach, he just got a new job in construction. Good for him. Congratulations. He's just turned 19 and uh, he's a hard worker. And it's really, he's learning too that, um, you know, he he would always sit on his money and not really reward himself for his hard work. Mm. So we've had some conversations about that. Well, he went out and he spent $2,500 and got himself a new quad. <laughs> oh, good for him. Yeah. And then my youngest one is 16, and um, he's he's an interesting one. I feel like he's an old soul. <laughs> we've said for years there's an old man trapped in his body because we've always <laughs> thought he was so serious. <laughs> um, but uh, he he doesn't seem to worry about money. Like, it's not a, an issue for him, mm-hmm. which is just so different from watching the other two grow up. You know, all three of them came from, obviously, my husband and I. And yet they all have different personalities and different views on how money works. And of course, money doesn't have to be the only blocking point for people. I mean, it's the not. top three are probably money relationships and health. And there's going to be a different yeah. thing, different combination for everybody. So, yeah, it's not terribly surprising. But how interesting that it got to the third one. The third one basically was done with going through what the stuff that the first two went through had. They were still going through. He didn't have to do it. It's like, OK, my, my older mm-hmm. brothers did it. I'm done. No problem. Yeah. He's making money and he's, you know, he's got a happy relationship at 16. And, you know, he's just, he actually is, they're all very pretty happy-go-lucky kids. So That's really great. That's how you know that things are not only going right in their lives, but you've had the right influence. Yes. That feels great. It does. It feels really good. Happy (laughs) kids. They say happy, happy spouse, happy house. You know, we got to make one up for happy kids because that's a different type of feeling. Henry. Uh, just had his first child, uh, baby girl, and uh, it was funny because I always tell him he don't. He, I was told him before you don't know what real love is. You know, <laughs> I always tell him you guys don't know what real love is. Oh, I love my girl. Nah, this is something different. And uh, they all, after all of them have a kid, they come back and they're like, "You were right. Like, uh-huh. I, didn't, I didn't know what this was. I didn't know this feeling could even exist in this level." And um, it's that that carries over into that whole seeing your kids laugh, seeing them happy. It's uh, it's something worth doing a law of attraction for. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, 
Absolutely. Wow. I had something else in here too about your kids and, and this applies to anybody, but um, working with Cassie, I learned how to stay in my own lane. You know, as a parent, you don't want your child to go through hurt or experience pain, like the negative side of things. Um, and what I learned by staying in my own lane was to hold space for them, to allow them to feel their feelings if they're angry or sad. And it's made a huge difference in how my boys communicate with me. Like we're just so open and they are so much happier now because they do experience the feelings. Like they actually feel how they feel and I don't try to fix it for them anymore. Which is a very good thing. Um, it is, it, it's a challenging idea though, because mm -hmm. on the one hand, we do want people to live, including kids, including our kids, we want them to live all of life. And yes, the parent wants them to have the happy life. But by the same token, we came into this world knowing that it was a world of contrast. So it's an interesting balance that happens there, don't you think? It is, but it, it feels really good doing it this new way. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> it's all over your face. So that that's very clearly true for you. No doubt about that. Um, for, so for years, just real quick, for years growing up, I didn't want to have kids because I didn't want to bring... I didn't want to be responsible for bringing anyone else into this hot mess that we're living in. And I remember, you know, I was born in 81. So I was, I was saying this during the nineties, you know, and all kind of craziness was going on and where I was from, you know, Camden, New Jersey. Um, so I always, I always had said that, you know, but I, you know, obviously I got over that after I had my, my first baby girl, but I also want to, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say the thought, Having that thought, it's sad that anyone would have that thought about the current state of the world. Um, that was back then. Um, and so that's the emphasis on why we have shows like this, you know, to, to make change. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge a couple of people who are in the live stream. Most of our listeners are our podcast listeners, so they listen to the recording. But especially wanted to say hello to JB because you've been putting some stuff in there, including uh, recognition that, yes, it's a parable and that parenting is at the center of that parable. No doubt about it. So thanks for dropping by. I appreciate it. Um, but, yeah, the, the whole thing about what's happening with kids and how kids are growing up and what happens when they grow up with law of attraction teaching is quite astonishing. There've been a lot of stories told here on the show. I want to share one of them with you, Kimberly. This one was told quite a few years ago by one of my very first co-hosts. Um, now, currently I do the show five days a week with people like Neo. Um, I've got uh, generally two co-hosts each day, Monday through Friday. Back then I was doing it once a week and I had one co-host. His name was Joel Elston and I still a good friend. Um, he just became too busy to do the show anymore, but he told this amazing story. I'll never forget this. Um, and we, we renamed his client to Steven. It wasn't his real name, but, um, is that what we did? No, it was a different name. I think, well, no, I think it was that, but anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is he was telling the story about this kid who had come through the foster care system. Now, Joel actually gets a lot of people who come through the foster care system and, he does so primarily because he was originally a therapist, psychotherapist. He eventually kind of left that behind and became a full-time life coach. And that's pretty much what he's doing today. But 
whenever other therapists would encounter kids in the foster care system who were the real troublemakers, the ones that nobody could reach, Joel was like, you know, the, the therapist of last resort. So he got all the tough cases that way. And he had win after win after win with him. So they just kept sending the tough cases to him. <laughs> but there was this one kid that he met. This kid was, he was, talk about a hot mess. This kid was just a wreck at age like nine, something like that. He, he had been described to like 20 different drugs. I mean, that may be an exaggeration, but he was on so many drugs. Um, he, when, when Joel met him and sat down with him and asked him uh, to tell him about himself, the kid said, well, I'm opposition defiant. Um, I, I have uh, ADHD. No, no, no. I want to know who you are. You know, he was giving all of his, his diagnoses. That was his life. His, his entire life was all the things he'd been diagnosed with. He was trouble in any foster home he was placed in. Um, Joel described him at, when he shook hands with the kid. It was the limpest handshake he'd ever uh, encountered in his life. And the kid was just full of anger. He was just full of, he was full of rage, really, not just anger. He was just a raging kid who was just looking to, to lash out any chance that he got. Uh, and of course, the way that Joel broke through is because Joel had his own really tough um, situation growing up, including being thrown in prison at one point. And so when the, the kid you know, challenged him, well, how would you know how this feels? Joel says, well, here's how I know. And he would tell him the story like, oh, okay. You know, so he'd make the, the encounter of trust that way. But the bottom line is he ended up in that first session explaining the law of attraction to the kid and explaining that we are in control of what happens in every aspect of our lives. And the kid got it instantly. And from that first session on, he immediately decided to change his life and did so that day. It was amazing how fast it happened. Well, the first thing he did before he left the, the office with Joel was to ask him if Joel would go with him to meet his psychiatrist. And Joel said, sure, I'll do that. And then the kid went home. He went to the foster home where he'd been staying. The foster home mother called Joel later and said, what did you do to this kid? He's a different kid. <laughs> <laughs> and to make a very long and wonderful story short, this kid literally changed everything about his life. He and Joel went to see his psych psychiatrist. This kid did all his research and started hitting the psychiatrist with all these questions about, well, when you, when you uh, prescribed this one for me, did you also uh, check to see what the data said about how this one interacts with that drug over there? And he's like hitting, and the psychiatrist is looking at Joel and said, what did you do? You know, <laughs> what did you do? You, you, you had to like ruin my day bringing this kid in in this state, right? No, the, the kid fired his psychiatrist. He fired, a nine-year-old kid fired his psychiatrist. And he went on to make all kinds of changes in his life. He went to his teacher and apologized for his, for the behavior that he'd been giving over the last, you know, couple of years or whatever. It was like, and he apologized to the foster mother. He completely changed his life around. Today, this is like, um, I'm going to say four or five years later. I believe he's about ready. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be closer to seven or eight years. He's about ready to graduate from high school. He's going to college at a Southern college. I don't remember which one. And he's going for psychiatry. I mean, oh, my God. <laughs> now, that, that's a very dramatic version of a story, but it illustrates just how quickly kids can get it. Yes. And it's just, that, that to me is where the excitement comes from. Because I've, I've worked with kids, not on LOA, but in another context. I love watching how fast kids can pick stuff up. Yeah. They don't have all the distractions we got. That's right. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, I was just saying they don't have all the distractions we got, you know? Mm -hmm. 
they got their own, but they don't have the ones like us. Specifically finances and the stuff that lingers every day, you know, car notes and stuff like that. What were you going to say, Kimberly? Yeah. Um, when my boys were younger, I actually um, went into their schools and the daycare and I taught meditation. Ooh. And I actually ended up writing two children's meditation books. Um, and it was really interesting because my middle son, his classroom was so disruptive. Mm-hmm. And by the end of doing several different meditation sessions, once it was like once a week. The teacher actually told me that she was going to incorporate it the next year because for 30 minutes, that classroom would be quiet and still. And she hadn't seen that all year long. Wow. And many of the kids would tell me that they actually thanked me because they had a place that they could go to to let all the BS go. They didn't say BS, of course, but (laughs) to let their worries go. Um, cause it's, you know, I, I took them to their secret garden and they had a mailbox where they could drop off their worries and all the things. Oh, nice. So yeah, they, they do pick up those things if we teach them when they're younger or show them. Yeah. yeah. And stay consistent. Yes. Mm. Gotta stay consistent with it. The most successful people I know is they make their kids meditate every day before school and after school. So, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. <laughs> I, um, Kimberly, we gotta we gotta talk after this because I I we we could probably exchange some ideas. I I'd love to trying to instill the law of attraction into my three year old, um, and you know trying to instill it into someone who doesn't know what a thought is, is um, different because you have to do it with your actions. You just so you have to find a way to teach the law of attraction with your actions. So it's become a it's become a challenge, but it's I it's one of those inviting challenges that I love participating in every time he enters the room. And so I picked up a lot of techniques, but I know I could probably get some more from you. So we got to get together after this, chop it up. Well, let's uh, not wait. I mean, because like you said, you wrote a couple of books. Get, share share some nuggets from the books. Bring it. Uh oh, did the image freeze up? She's not moving. Oh yeah. no! Yeah, she's pulling a joke on us. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. If you All see right. the cat jump up on the counter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she's going to reconnect. All right. So while she's reconnecting, we'll, we'll, we'll just wait for it. Um, but what you say is really true. It's a, it's a challenge for kids. Or I'm sorry, for parents who are trying to teach kids. How do you teach it? It's not like you had a whole lot of role models growing up, right? That, that told you how, here's how you can teach this stuff to your kids. No, nah, this is off the fly. Just like yeah. all my live streams, I just come up with it as I go. <laughs> but no, nah, yeah, just, it's just how you respond to the things that he does. And how you preemptively, I guess, respond to something. It's, it's all about your actions because kids picking up, these kids are picking up way more than we think they're picking up anyway. Oh yeah. So if he's picking up imagery anyway, I might as well shape it the best I can. There we go. <laughs> so sorry. My internet kicked me off. <laughs> well, that's right. We got you back. That's the main thing. We're trying to get some information from your books. We want your number one parenting technique your number two and three as well please yeah give us some nuggets from your books about how to how to help kids really grasp and understand this from an early age uh, well the book i just wrote or my children's meditation books let's start with the, the meditation book just, books okay um so i'm actually working on uh, redoing all the artwork for those okay 
But the uh, children's meditation books, it starts with um, taking them to a secret garden. And before they get there, they stop at a mailbox and they open it up and there's a pen and paper. And they wrote, they write down any worries that they might have or anything that makes them sad or something that happened that they're not happy about. And then they put it in the mailbox and it'll just be taken care of for them. And then they enter their secret garden and they go on adventures. Um, I've got a, more to write. Um, they're already actually written. I just want to do the artwork myself. That's cool. I just need like, I need to like triple myself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the first one is I am loved and it, it goes through and there's animals and the animals you know, talk to them saying how much they love them. And then they get to choose who do they want to see in their secret garden. Um, and I have this amazing story of a young boy who had lost his grandpa and we had done this meditation and he asked his grandpa to come visit him that day in his secret garden. And um, he said, thank you, because now we had a place he could go and chat with his grandpa whenever he wanted to. Hmm. So, and of course, there's the breathing exercises, and we talk a little bit about colors because, you know, colors, breathing in colors, you know, blue is calming. So that's that's very helpful for them. Um, and then they just stay there and wander around and kind of go on their own little adventure as far as whatever they want to do. And then you bring them back to um, exit the secret garden. And if there's still anything that they didn't let go of yet, they can open their mailbox again and write it down and put it in there. So they're basically just letting go of, well, us adults, I think, sometimes have more stresses and things, but kids carry stuff, too. So they're able to sure. write it down and let it go in a, in a more simple way. Yeah, that's so that's what cool. my, my meditation books are all about for kids. And I did that for three-year-olds. <laughs> they didn't sit for 30 minutes. We started with 15. Um, and then the rest were 30 minutes. So, and I, my, so it, my oldest son was in third, third or fourth grade at that time. So there you go, Neil, that you asked how to help your three-year-old. You just got a direct three-year-old answer. I am, I mean, she said three-year-olds and I'm in awe because if <laughs> I tried to walk him through a, he doesn't know what a garden is. He didn't know what a secret is either. So I, I think it would be hard for my dialogue with him. What's uh, he into? He said dinosaurs. Okay, so take him to the land of dinosaurs. Take him to something that he can visualize. Take him to I'm, a garden with dinosaurs. I think where I'm losing it, where, where I'm seeing it in my mind is, um, I guess a lot of the word, he's not formulating sentences yet. So for me to say a full sentence to him, half of the words in there, and the if, like, like some words like that, he probably wouldn't even know. So I'm like, how would I... How would I paint a Does picture? Does he know colors? In his mind, he knows colors. Yeah, he knows colors. Start him with breathing with colors. Breathing, so just tell him to breathe. Mm -hmm. and think of. Think green. of a blue dinosaur. <laughs> okay. You know, bring right. it down to his level. Okay, so as long as I'm slowing it down. Yeah, so he's going to picture a blue dinosaur and then he's going to breathe that color in. Nice, nice. All right, I bang with you. There was somebody, Kristen was telling me about uh, a color that's, that's like a shade of blue that's supposed to be real good, not lavender. It's kind of the word that starts with L. Um, not a crystal, a color. 
It's supposed uh, to I was going to say lapis lazuli. <laughs> That's a good one. Something yeah. like that, but it's kind of like blue. But yeah, I have to find out what it's called. But okay, I could do that. I could definitely do that. By the way, Debbie G has uh, uh, connected in via the chat. Um, apparently, she's uh, traveling about, so that's why she hasn't been able to join us on the show. But she's loving it. She's loving the tools for children. She's loving watching. She loves Dinosaur Land. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm angry. I'm going to grab him up. Yo, sit down with me for a second. All right, take a little yellow dinosaur. <laughs> mm-hmm. Get him to sit his butt down a little bit. Well, and he actually probably understands more than you realize, even though he's not able to verbalize yet. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And just okay. trust that he knows. The, I He's think, smart. <laughs> I think the energy transfer speaks more than words to kids from birth up until they, you know, learn how to speak full on mm-hmm. English or whatever language. So, plus, plus a little bit of law of attraction, a little bit of confidence, a little bit of my points getting across. I know it's getting across. I appreciate that it's getting across, that, that type of stuff. Mix it all up. Use every tool in your toolbox, you guys. Every tool you got, use it. <laughs> JB throws an interesting comment up. He says, I, I use similar techniques when I work with patients with Alzheimer's. We always have to make whatever point we're trying to get across to where that person is. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Something else, too, about kids. Because um, we were talking earlier, Kimberly, about how kids are very much connected still. They have, for the most part, until they get into the school system, they they really have a strong connection intuitively all day long. I mean, they, they just know that it's there. And then over time, we, we were taught to let go of it and, and disconnect from it in a sense. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, I, I think that's kind of another way to tap in because when we are, it's not like we have to worry about whether or not they're understanding. They already get it, like you're saying. They, they, they're yes. already connected. They already have that sense of feeling, right? So yeah. it's not like you have to teach them something they don't already know. You just have to tell them, pay attention to it. Yeah. And if you, like, again, going back to the three-year-olds, um, this the class that I was in, um, the teachers were amazed because they, they said it was like um, trying to herd kittens. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but they, they would, they would sit and the starting with the breathing part of it all really is what relaxed them mm-hmm. and made it much easier to enter the secret garden. And the things that they would share when they were done was just their imagination is just amazing. Yes. That's a really key point right there. We were talking a moment ago about how important it is to learn how to imagine that, which we have never experienced before. Kids are probably yeah. our best model for that. They are. In fact, we have a lot to learn from them, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I, I highly recommend spending time with three-year-olds, <laughs> like no a big doubt. group. <laughs> yeah, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, all of them. I mean, they have yeah. so much to teach us. It's amazing. There's oh. Debbie G. Debbie. I had to talk in here. Well, first off, I, I, I'm in the middle of a project and stuff, and I never like to miss. Kimberly, it's been a, it's a joy listening to you, and I, it's Thank nice you. to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. What I want to hop in with is that I'm loving the tools that you're bringing forward for children. And here's why. Because emotional intelligence is now being taught. They've been doing these this through the Yale University. And all of the things that you're doing, meditation, teaching children to start self-sourcing, self-nurturing, is all now a really big thing. And, in fact, Kimberly, I want to introduce you to the Krikori app. 
and the, and the ladies that do that so that you can get your work over into there so that it can be accessible to already a whole a field of children. And they're using it in the classrooms, but I just really am appreciating you because if anybody has ever heard of the hundredth monkey, has anybody I've heard of it? Don't know it. So the hundredth monkey, uh, is in essence the story of the, the scientists that did the study in Hiroshima on the monkeys okay. and they brought yams and then they, and, and the baby yam, the babies were washing their yams. They didn't like them with the sand and everything on them. Okay. But the adults and everybody else are doing it the same way. So after years of study, they find that from the children, from the smallest child up is where the, has the learning process went. But the most unique part of the entire thing is they were doing these studies on other islands around the world. And what they found most interesting is that they call it the hundredth monkey effect because at the hundredth monkey, everybody was doing this and they couldn't explain how that exactly happened, that it became the social norm. Okay, so Kimberly, what you're doing is you're bringing in work now for all of us to, to for these children, for Neil's little one, you know, for my granddaughter to be able to start at an age where they can begin learning these really valuable tools. So, uh, really cool stuff. Thank you. As I pop in here and take over, sorry guys. <laughs> no, I love it. That was great. We were actually missing you. I, I, I'd already pre-sold Kimberly on your high energy level, and then you weren't there. It's like, oh, geez, I feel like I cheated her or something. <laughs> I really did. Yeah, no, sorry about that. Uh, but, classic. yeah, Kimberly, just, just rocking. What's up, Neil? I see classic Debbie G coming in with that explosion. And you know what's crazy? Right when you were coming in, I was going to say that recently, um, what I've really, really learned upon studying a bunch of people that were really successful at the law of attraction. They one thing I wasn't using that they were was emotion. Like I was attaching emotion to my affirmations, but these people are getting into it and producing mm-hmm. in a month seven figures. And they're and they didn't even know exactly all what they were doing, but I identified it and I said, Emotion. You're adding some very strong emotions to your make believe sessions that you're having, that you're Choosing to break away from your normal day and spend a half an hour in make-believe, which I know a lot of people would say, what the hell? Trust me, it's worth it. But if you're going to do that, couple it with as much emotion as you can. See yourself there. See yourself happy there, as happy as you would be. Try your hardest. The ego's going to kick your back in the whole way through. But trust me, it's worth it. I was great to talk about that right when you came in with a big <laughs> splash of energy. So well, boom, I'd, love, I'd love to add to that, Neo. <laughs> You talk about emotions. You, um, so working with Cassie and in Future Self University, we activate our abundance feeling. Like we activate our emotions. We tap into that. And so it is very important when you're really wanting to use the, the LOA or manifesting, you know, connecting to how it's going to feel when you have what you want. That's really important. Well, real quick, I'm gonna give it to uh, I'm gonna give this question to everybody, and uh, grab the answer for myself and who else is wondering. Sometimes when it's hard to, like, I'll have an hour where nothing's popping, nothing's happening. I can play as much make believe as I want, but no matter how much I try, it I can't enjoy it as much. You know, anything like money related, like having such and such, how would it feel to have this amount of money and buy the 
the tour bus that I want, you know? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I put myself in the tour bus. I'm feeling good. I'm looking good. Yeah, this is exactly what I pictured. This is exactly what I wanted. But the emotion is kind of lacking. And sometimes it'd be like that for long periods. It's like for like the whole hour, I'm like, man, I could have done so. I could have played video games instead of, you know, wasting my time. Well, not wasting my time. But so anyway, when you got somebody in that situation, what do you suggest? Let's go to our guests first. Kimberly, how do you help somebody with that particular thing, with the, the emotion piece? So you're not inspired in that moment. So set it down and wait for inspiration. You can't force the feeling. You have to allow the feeling. Mm. What if you proactively find, look or have something set aside just for that moment to inspire you and then try to hop into the scenario with that newfound spark that you gave yourself? You think it's doing something like that would work? Yeah. So like when I'm... um Like I'll go back to the abundance activators. You know, sometimes it's just two minutes that I'm spending, you know, I think people get tripped up and I have to spend this full hour doing this thing when sometimes you may only have two minutes, but just going to activate it. So how do you activate that feeling? You come up with a list of things that, well, let's go with happy. How do you activate feeling happy? Well, I can put on a child giggling and that makes me happy. And I can listen to that for two minutes. And then I set down the judgment of, okay, I didn't spend an hour on this. That's okay. I still activated my feeling. Is that what you're talking about, Neo? <laughs> I tapped the mouse and it flew two screens over. <laughs> um, yeah, this is exactly what I'm talking about. I love it. I love it. I love the lists aspect. And I noticed this yesterday. There's two things that make me smile. This one rhyme that I read, I wrote and, um, listing listing things whether it be what i'm grateful for or thankful for or just reasons to say yes in my life or listing the things that i would purchase oh my goodness new mental exercise i just thought of it last night you guys tell me what you think <laughs> here's the deal you find your net worth how much cash could you hand somebody right now total if if someone was like everything right now all right, so let's say that number's $10,000. So what you do is you ask yourself, what would I do if I was given $10,000? I have to spend it today, like that movie with Richard Pryor. I got to spend it today. Whatever's not going to spend today is going in the trash. And so because the first time I did it, it was what would I do if I spent my $10,000? But that didn't work. Because as I chiseled away at the price, my ego was like, oh, no, you're running low. You know, <laughs> so I was like, this way, your 10000 is set. It's not moving. You were just given another one. And it's easy to feel like you have $10,000 because you already have it mm -hmm. in cash. So, so that's why I said work with the number that you have. And then you start listing what you would spend it on. And then every, every now and then you ask, how would it feel? Oh, yeah, I would go get this. Oh, how would that feel? And I was using this last night and I was working it out. And you guys know when I go over different mental exercises, if it feels good and it's working on all different areas, I'm like, yeah, I want to do a video about that. So I just thought about it last night and it attacks so many different angles. But based off of what I said, give me some feedback that you guys got. Have you read Manifest 10,000 by yeah. Cassie? That's Cassie, Cassie's book, that's, Cassie Sparks, yeah. Yeah, that's what we do. We're handed 10,000. That's one of our exercises. We're handed $10,000. 
No, what but we buy with it. My thing is this: if it's a person that only has, you know, net thousand dollars in their bank, the ego's gonna be kicking their back in every time they say ten thousand. That's why I was trying to work with something where the ego would have to agree. Yeah, you do have that. So for you, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like me saying, I gotta go. Can I, I just gotta come, man. I love <laughs> you. I'll just spark your, we're about to spark that G vibe real quick. So look, look, here it is. Listen, we could spend all year long looking at future trip and about what it might feel like to have something. And I love all that because I've done that and it works and that's great. But if your self worth and your self love is not in check where it needs to be, there's a good possibility that you may not be seeing what you want to come up because somewhere in that subconscious is some belief that you don't deserve it. The only time that we see things that we, when we think, when we don't see what we think that we should be seeing, it's, there's something, we're not doing it wrong. We're not loving ourselves right. You know? So when we love ourselves right, and that looks like loving all these aspects of us, they're all juicy. They're all really good. Loving the polarity, loving every ounce of it. And then that the bubble and Kimberly and, and Neo and Walt, y'all know what the bubble is. It's the bubble of let go, let go. You have that image. You know what it looks like. You know that attachment to the outcome of what you want it to look like versus what it could be. Could you imagine the 10,000 being 10 million, but you're limiting yourself to the limit, to the possibility of the greatness. And sometimes we play small because we're afraid if we play big, it's not going to happen. Or we need that constant confirmation. Well, I'm going to do this, get this. It's going to happen. Okay. What I'm doing is working. Well, if it's working for five bucks, it's going to work on five million. It's just how it is. It's a matter of your self worth inside of here and what that you feel about you. And, and I've never, I've not found anything else until I started accepting me. And I mean, even the crap that I just don't like, it was a trip. So that's my, that's my input on that. I think the law of attraction on steroids is the law of, of appreciation and the law of appreciating yourself first, foremost. And then, cause dude, like if you get happy right where the hell you're at with everything you've got, you're going to have, you're going to have shit show up. You're going to be like, damn, where'd that come from? Damn, where'd that come from? Damn. Oh my God. Are you kidding me right now? Yes. Like that. <laughs> You know, it's just, but you got to be loving you wherever you're at. And I mean, like hugging, loving, look at you, look where you've been, look where you are. How can you not freaking love that shit? <laughs> you can see Kimberly, why we love Debbie G so much. <laughs> and that's an alignment. It's so, this is perfect, Debbie, because the book that I wrote in three days, Rebel's Guide to More Money, as a yeah. money chaser, I was so busy being a money chaser that I didn't have to stop and even look at my self-worth. And I really didn't feel worthy of being abundant. Yeah, yeah. Which is such, um, well, I was, okay, BS. Sorry, I almost, <laughs> almost <laughs> threw it out there. Hey, we, the, the lines can cross a few times so far, so you can relax. It's okay. <laughs> so, yeah, but self-worth is a part of that. But being a money chaser, I didn't have time to even think or worry about it. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That's I love that because well because you're chasing, mm-hmm. you're chasing and it's running and you uh, you know and you're never gonna catch it but you're also not present right here. Anything you chase present. will run from you. That's that's the bad part. Anything you chase will run from you. But a goal in itself 
is a chase. It's a feeling of lack. There's something I want and something has to happen in order for it to happen. I want a glass of water. Well, I first got to swallow the damn thing. (laughs) You're either going to succeed or fail. But in that moment when you order it, it's, it is a chase. So it's kind of like a double edged sword that you got to like dance with. (laughs) Like, like, but baby, you're creating the walls. That's the thing. You're doing it. Like you are creating your dance and your walls, man. Nobody else is doing it. And, Every one of us show up to give us each little cute, little cute clues, clues, not cues, clues, clues. You know, I mean, I'm taking something from all of you right now. I want to hug Kimberly just because any work anyone's doing with children makes my heart go poof. I want to hug. all. yeah. Thank you for showing up here today. You, you rock seriously. And Neo, the way you show up just, authentically being yourself and, and just straight up out there. Hey, look, I've been doing this thing. And what if this happens? And, you know, that's all well, my answers is to ask y'all. <laughs> dude, you're smart because that's what I did for a bunch of years while I interviewed a bunch of people. And so I, I got all their clues, give them, give them, give them. And here we've got Walt just leading the pack here and off in space somewhere. You know, I just, <laughs> I am the Walt, and, and he's just. <laughs> but Walt, take it, bring us, bring us in for that sweet close, man. Oh well, it, it is sweet, but it's also bittersweet because this is the hardest part: is finishing up an hour, and you don't want to stop because it's going so great. But Kimberly, it's been absolute pleasure to have you on the show. You got to let people know how they find you and how they're going to find this book once it's out. Yes. Um, so you can find me at morekimberly.com. That's M-O-R-E-K-I-M-E-E-R-L-Y.com. So thank you so much, Walt, for having me. It was a pleasure meeting you, Debbie and Neo, and this has been a lot of fun. And it's going to be hitting, uh, I presume, Amazon and, and others, you know, Barnes and & Noble and small bookstores, I would imagine, as well, in it's the first quarter of next year, right? First quarter of 2022. The do we, date's do we have not inspired yet. We, we haven't set the date yet. Okay, but it's going to be yep. called Rebel's Guide to More Money. So that's what's to look for, right? Yes. All right. So that's great. So Congratulations. Yeah. The, the the new author, new the, the newly uh, appointed first of two coaches from the Cassie Parks system. What's she calling it now? The, the Future Self University. Future and Self University. I am one of the yes. first abundant. Well, Cassie's the original abundance facilitator. I'll be the next one. You and Vicky. All right, that's going to be great. So, all right. Well, thank you again for joining us. We really appreciate it, man. This has been a great visit. Really, really appreciate it so much. You'll have to come back sometime. Please, that's I would love to. It's, it's, that's like bottom line. Well, you got the link, right? You got the yes. calendar link. So yep. you know, do your stuff. Perfect. Hook it in. I will. Good Thanks. stuff. Neo and Debbie, as usual, this has been wonderful. I mean, it's kind of a great way to, to end the week is, is on the high with Debbie G and Neo Positivity. So thank you guys very much. Thank you, live streamers. Thank you, podcast listeners everywhere. We will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you.